This presentation is brought to you by Liberty Medical, helping you to manage your diabetes and get the supplies and support you need so you can live a better life. Good morning. I'm Wilfred Brimley and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. criminal case is taking so long to resolve. Well, I have some ideas about that. And Matt Rowan, who was, again, one of the broadcasters, one of the two broadcasters, he thinks his mic is off. So he's comfortable. Here it is, so another right. hot mic, right? Yep. So he's saying his stuff, and he's upset. He, he didn't even, to be honest, Rob, he, he didn't even sound it upset. He was, but he no. was, you know, he was just talking about and very comfortable out there. They, yeah, they not standing for the anthem. Are you serious? I hope they get their butts kicked. Blah blah blah. I'm cleaning it up. And then he goes, "We are not going to finish that." Um, thank you, Rob Parker, Chris Broussard of the Odd Couple on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, for that, but we're going to stop them right there. This is Jerry Jones. Welcome to another episode of The Uninvited. However you found us and wherever you decided to find us, I'm so very grateful that you did. Please do us a favor. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss another one of these fine episodes. And should you decide to give us a, a rating, please give us five stars because five stars feels like love. Four stars feels like the friend zone. Um... You know, I love this time of the year because I always get to say a phrase that, um, you know, that, you know, since high school, beware of the Ides of March. Um, that is from Julius Caesar, right? A2 Brute. Um, I love this time of the year also because it's uh, March Madness. And uh, I'm here in Kansas City. For, for those of you who don't know, I'm here in Kansas City. And so the Big 12 tournament basketball turn is a big deal here um but you know even though we're in 2021 even though we're seeing a lot more people vaccinated uh i think kansas is at 18 percent. i think missouri is about 18 percent also of the folks that have gotten at least one shot uh COVID is still very much here and present uh this tournament uh brings in a lot of folks from all over the midwest um, especially from, especially from the state of Iowa, <clears throat> shout out to, um, Carrie and Crystal next door neighbors, big Iowa state fans and, um, Iowa state, essentially Kansas city becomes like a, uh, a satellite, almost like, I think Kansas city feels like an embassy for the state of Iowa during the big 12 tournament, but COVID has wreaked havoc last year. After one day it was canceled, uh, I remember being, wow, I remember being downtown for a meeting and I remember it was at the, um, the Rock Hill, that Rock Hill restaurant. It used to be, um, it's on the corner of, of, um, 20th and Main. Am I making that up? It is Main, right? Um, but, uh, I remember being in, going to this meeting 
to discuss being on a, on a board. And I remember thinking, this is really stupid of me to be at this meeting. At this point, I, I'm humble brag here. Humble brag. I, I'm, I'm sure I was the first uh, director at my job to uh, send people home and have them work from home. And I think I was a, almost maybe three to four weeks ahead of um, the rest of the company. That aside, one the humble brag is, you know, being in community health, public health, my job is to kind of spot trends and also to take care of my people. I don't even know why that was important. I think that's more of a kind of a self-affirmation kind of thing. But I remember thinking how stupid it was for me to be at this lunch meeting. But that salad they have, they have this salmon salad. It's a, it's a Brussels sprout lettuce. Uh, it's like a club salad. And it was just amazing. But yeah, I remember how stupid it was. And I remember being at lunch, seeing the Oklahoma State University, which congratulations to Oklahoma State. They actually just won this year's Big 12 tournament. But I remember seeing the team bus go by. And I remember during the meeting getting the text that the Big 12 tournament was canceled. The rest of it was going to be canceled. Uh, and this year, my, my Jayhawks, um, they had to exit this tournament because of COVID-19. I know Duke University had to exit their tournament and, and the University of Virginia because of covid and, you know, today is supposed to be Selection Sunday. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure if they should be doing this. I'm not sure if they should be having this tournament or not. Um, but th this, I love this time of the year uh, in large part because, it, you know, we, we start to see, you know, it's really, you know, we really start to see that you know, we're out of winter. I'm firmly out of winter. And it's uh, the all the conference tournaments, NCAA tournament. And I also get to say, beware of the Ides of March. Uh, as of the day I'm recording this, on the 14th of March, I also love this time of year because it's Pi Day. Right? 314. I don't know. I mean, we equate... <laughs> obviously, you know, 314 is Pi. But then instead of, like, us celebrating math, <laughs> what we do is celebrate... Um, sweets in in the form of of pie um so i am i you know i we are going to get pie today i don't know what kind um but there's this place that that we have been going a little bit too frequently called the corner cafe in here in kansas city in the riverside area and i know there's a couple more but they've got this banana split pie oh wow if you're ever in the mood for for pie corner cafe Hard to go wrong. Ashley's Bakery, located in Prides. Can't go wrong. The Upper Crust in Old Metcalf. Can't go wrong there. But uh, celebrate pie. It's 314. Tomorrow, 315 is my parents' anniversary. So yeah, this is a great, great time of year. Um, however, um, as of the day that I'm recording this, um, it also kind of marks kind of a, for me, a kind of a sad time, not even just sad, but, um, it marks a moment in time that, you know, has sparked 
a rebirth of the civil rights movement. And, you know, today as I'm recording, it's 366 days now since Breonna Taylor was awakened from her sleep and killed in her own home by uh, the Louisville Police Department. And it's important to note that it's been 366 days because it's been 366 days and there's been no justice for Brianna. No justice for her mom, Tamika Palmer, who um, who you heard. Uh, it's interesting to note that it's been 366 days and she has yet, yet herself to have a conversation with the Louisville Police Department on on why they did what they did. They have not reached out to her. They have not spoken with her. It's been a year, folks. It's been a gruesome, horrible year. And um, so as it happened, I mean, and of course, I mean, so, you know, knowing that we are in the one-year anniversary, the one-year anniversary also taking place at the beginning of the jury selection process for George Floyd, and this is where we're, we're really beginning to see just how um, systemic and structural racism are impacting, you know, this, this trial. And in large part in the criminal justice system as a whole. So, you know, where George Floyd was murdered um, by Derek Chubb, I'm sorry, I can't say that he's where he allegedly, allegedly, I'm just making a correction for the note. I am not saying that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. I am saying he's being accused of killing George Floyd. And we all saw the video, the eight minutes and 46 seconds in which Derek Chauvin um, had his knee placed upon George Floyd's neck at the time that George Floyd took his last breath. But I'm not saying that Derek Chauvin murdered him because there is a trial that will determine whether or not Derek Chauvin met the legal definition of murder. I believe that's a there's a second degree and a third degree charge, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But what we're seeing is there's an imbalance right now. There is um, I think maybe there is one black person one latinx person at at the time as of as a friday i have not checked since yesterday but um you know four of the six that had been selected were white and you know derek chauvin has a right to a jury of his peers um and being you know your color doesn't guarantee peer but when you're in a community that's predominantly white it's going to be difficult to to find um, black jurors and then black jurors are essentially being targeted for being biased against police and so how 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 do you find I guess I guess where I'm at is like is there 
is there space for someone to have expressed their grief, their anger, their disappointment by exercising their First Amendment rights through protest, through post on social media? Is one allowed to do that and still have the capacity to be fair and impartial? And I don't think this is just about race because I'm, I'm wondering, like, how, how are you able to find anyone in a social media era who can meet the 20, 20th century definition of fair and impartial when, look, I, I don't know about you, but if I'm an attorney, I'm not sure I could trust any potential member of a jury who's like, oh, no, I don't have an opinion. I don't know anything about this George Floyd case. I'm sorry, it's not the George Floyd case. It's the Derek Chauvin case. Derek Chauvin is on trial. George Floyd is not. Um, but it would I would not trust anyone who said they didn't have an opinion or didn't know anything about it. I don't even know if I would trust anyone under the age of 50 who was like, no, I didn't see anything on Facebook about it. I didn't like it. I didn't like any post one way or the other on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. No, I'm not familiar with Black Lives Matter. No, I'm not familiar with Blue Lives Matter. That person would be a liar and you could not put that person on a jury trial, in my opinion. But I, I think part of what we're, we're going to have to deal with in the reimagination of a 21st century criminal justice system is to think about the role of, of social media and how we access information. I mean, you could do the whole 12 angry men thing back in even the 90s and early 2000s where the, we would get our news from either the newspaper or local news or CNN. That's impossible now. And I don't even know, you couldn't even sequester people now without taking their, um, their mobile devices or access to the internet. And so I feel like the standard, the legal standard, I would be really interested in speaking um, with, with some legal minds on this, but the standard for fair and impartial has to evolve. And I, I think um, fair, even the concept of fair and impartial in a racist, sexist um nation is geared to the benefit of I would imagine like cisgendered white males like how 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 is it determined how how is it how is this system determined to be fair and impartial now I recognize that it has to be fair and impartial for the defendant right the defendant in this case is Derek Chauvin, white police officer. It needs to be fair and impartial for him, right? Because he's the defendant. But the state, the state also, it needs to be fair for the state and impartial. And so I'm wondering, 
how might we begin to pursue a, an improved standard or an enhanced standard where it's not just fair and impartial? Those things need to be need to happen. I think equity is the third stool, the third leg of the stool. That it needs to be fair, impartial, and equitable. Now, one could look at the population and go, well, the population of, I can't remember the name of the county in Minnesota, but um, it's, it, they're saying that the percentages of, the, of folks who are black will probably even exceed the percentage of um, the population. Well, I think you've got to, I think there needs to be a standard that, uh, in, in, in a, uh, uh, an algorithm for equity that it's not just raw percentages right that that's not equity that is um that's more data driven what we're talking about is um more than that i think there we need to we need to we need to to factor in a lot more and i think in 2021 i think we're a lot smarter about um how people make decisions and brain science. I think we understand how experience and culture, um, especially the role of bias, um, exploring the role of bias in jury selection, uh, exploring the role of bias in how people process information. I mean, it's just fascinating. I mean, we saw it all summer. We, I mean, we saw it. We've, we're seeing it now. Did you hear Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin? Did you hear what he said in an interview? In an interview, he's like, yeah, you know, there's people storming the Capitol. I wasn't afraid of them because they were just wanting to persuade, you know, their elected officials to vote the way they wanted them to vote. And they're just there because they love their country. And then he go went on to say, that if it had been Black Lives Matter folks who were storming the Capitol, then he would have been afraid. And the implication was that all those people who stormed the Capitol, people who, who killed, because I'm sorry, the, the, there were two officers who uh, attempted and completed suicide in the almost immediate aftermath of the Capitol. They killed one on the scene. They injured dozens more. They wanted to, to um, apprehend and hang Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Those people didn't scare Ron Johnson because those people love America. But the people who took to the streets in protest of the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, those people hate America. Those people aren't peaceful, despite the fact that they were peaceful, right? Despite the fact that most all of the violence that um, that was started were by not not by folks who um, are committed to uh, protecting black lives, but are committed to anarchy, right? Saboteurs, um, either who are kind of extreme, you know, leftist radicals or extreme right radicals.
right? Uh, but it was interesting to hear Ron Johnson say that he felt safe with the um, the, the rioters and the, the traitors uh, who stormed the Capitol and um, committed a crime, you know, thousands of crimes against the, the United States of America, uh, but feels threatened by those who oppose, peacefully oppose um, racism in all forms. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this false, uh, false equivalency. And so, but that mindset, that mindset, um, we have to account for that in jury selection, not just in the process of attorneys selecting who's on and who's off, but understanding what the process might be uh, the, the thought process for a jury. So my thought is, I feel like there needs to be in the voir dire process, which is the jury selection process, which I don't know if you've ever been through that. I, you know, it is necessary. And I'm, it's one of those things where I'm glad to do it in order to, um, to protect and nurture um, our, our democratic republic. And at the same time, it just absolutely sucks, the process, because you could spend um, a couple days in that process and then you don't get picked. Or the worst yet, you do get picked. It can be even worse. Um, but we have to take in implicit bias and what's going on in the minds of folks. I think we just we know too much now. We know too much to allow the, the criminal justice system to remain the way that it is. So that's my thoughts. So 366 days, still no justice for, for Breonna Taylor. And my concern is that uh, we're not going to get justice for um, George Floyd's family. Um, coincidentally, it, it was nice to see that the Floyd family did settle with the state um, for $27 million, but that still is not justice, you know. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I have a lot of thoughts on the criminal justice system today. And, um, I hadn't actually planned on getting more into it besides talking about, um, the death of Breonna Taylor, the anniversary, talking a little bit about, uh, what was going on with George Floyd. But this morning as I was drinking coffee, I was reading the Kansas city star and, one of the stories that caught my eye and it was like on page it was like on page five it was like kind of buried in there and it was a story about a case in douglas county kansas lawrence basically lawrence kansas and the headline was about a key witness in this trial the witness has been accused of sexual assault so you're reading an article and this is this is, this is the part where, you know, we, when we talk about bias and when we talk about not only, so bias in the criminal justice system, but I think there's bias in the reporting. You know, and, 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 and it's not to cast aspersions on the media or even the, any of the systems. It's just, it's, it's acknowledging the reality. But buried in the third paragraph of this story about a key witness in this murder trial 
was that there was a young man who was charged. This this is a crime that took place in, um, the murder took place in 2014. So setting states, it's 2021. This murder happens in 2014, okay? And a young man, a 19-year-old, was charged with murdering a woman. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was 19. The woman who was murdered was 19, and so that happened in 2014. And this, bear in mind, this was kind. Of, I, I hate to say a throw. It wasn't. I don't want to call it a throwaway paragraph, but it was kind of like as an aside to add a little bit of context. But this wasn't the point they were trying to make. But the point that 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 captured my eye was that this person was arrested for this murder in 2014. He did not go to trial for that murder until 2019. It says in the article that he was jailed for five years before going to trial in September of 2019. What in the hell took so long for this man to have the right to a fair and speedy trial? So, I mean, so this gets into a whole thing. So for five years, he was in jail, which means he probably couldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he didn't choose to stay in jail for five years while awaiting trial. He didn't, he couldn't afford bail. And his social circle couldn't afford bail. So I I started going down a little rabbit hole before getting on today. And I was reading a report and it showed, because here's the thing, I recall, um, shout out to, um, shout out to Molly Godabed, formerly Molly Moffat. Uh, friend and, and former colleague, work colleague. Um, in her work, um, she runs outreach and enrollment for Wyandotte in Johnson County for the ACA. And one of the things that she would do is that she would go to the Wyandotte County Jail because even though you're in jail, you could be eligible for uh, ACA, you know, healthcare benefits, right? Um, coincidentally, it should be noted that some of the guys, some of the people, not just guys, some of the people in the county jail had better access to healthcare in, in county jail than out. And the access in county jail was terrible. So just, just as an aside, um, but she would come back and talk all the time about, how the people that she's spoken with had been in for 18 months, two years awaiting trial. Some people three years. Um, but I, in the article I read, it's like, you know, that 65%, na- this is national, 65% of those who are currently being held either like in a city or county jail uh, are awaiting trial. 65%. I mean, that's insane. 
So this young man, I'm assuming he was a young man, um, sat in jail for five years awaiting a trial. Goes to trial. And uh, the jury couldn't reach a verdict. It couldn't reach a verdict. So here we are in March 2021. And um, he's got a second trial. Uh, he is still in jail. His second trial? Not until September of this year. So, by the time he goes to trial again, he will have spent seven years in jail awaiting his fate. And I'm sharing all of that to say that the criminal justice system, whether it's on the enforcement side and whether it is on the kind of the prosecution side or the legal side of it, it's all broken. It is, and it's not irreparably broken, but it is absolutely, unequivocally, no doubt about it, broken. And we can't do this to people. And... And so we, we read about, I mean, I've, I mean, I have, I've been reading about it, and I'm sure you probably have heard some of about it too, as we, you know, a year of COVID that people who are incarcerated, they get all the deaths that have happened in within the criminal justice system because of COVID-19 and all the health that might, their health might be irreparably, irreparably damaged because of COVID-19. So all think about that. So all those deaths and think about how 65% of people who are sitting in city or county jail have are awaiting trial. They may they may not be guilty. It may end up that charges end up being dropped and then they're just kind of sitting on their way but they're they're exposed to a killer virus because of our broken system our broken criminal justice system is literally killing people literally killing people from brianna taylor to george floyd and to the thousands of women and men who are currently incarcerated not being having even been tried much less convicted of a crime when we get out of this COVID thing, we got to fix that. There's, yeah, that that's that's an abnorm, abnormality. That is a failure of the system, and, and we've got to fix that. We can't we can't let that go. We can't let that go. Um. So yeah, a little heavy on <laughs> on criminal justice today. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> I've heard I I've heard. Listen, I've heard a lot of things. Look, I I am not unfamiliar with excuses, right? And I hate them. I hate excuses. I, I mean, I don't mind an explanation, okay? 
But if you want to get on my bad side, make excuses. Make and 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 make make horrible excuses for it doesn't and I guess here's the thing, it doesn't matter. To me, my my thing with excuses is that they don't matter. If you can explain why you did something, explain it. But to me, excuses is the same as our 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 BS. And so I've heard I've heard quite a bit and and you know, listen, we've all we're you know, we're all raised kids. Or we were kids, right? As a kid, as a kid, I made horrible excuses. Uh, I made all kinds of excuses when I just could not pre-calc. Pre-calc is when I hit my wall in math, and I made all kinds of excuses around why I wasn't getting it done. And I'm sure it drove my parents nuts. You know, my daughters made excuses. You know, we. You know, if you're a parent. You're used to excuses, and that's just a part of growing up. You 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 don't know what you don't know. What you don't know when you're younger is that you know the truth is always the best policy. Um, but this excuse takes the cake. Of th- this is the this is on this will be on the Mount Rushmore of BS excuses that you'll ever hear, and you heard. Earlier, you heard um, Rob Parker and Chris Bussard talking about it. But the person they were speaking about was a, I don't even want to say his name, uh, just because it's not worth it. But he he's an announcer uh, for um, high school, a high school uh, basketball team. And, and you heard that you heard the setup there. But um, he issued a statement on Friday around his comments that were caught. And so I, to finish, you know, what he said was he, he, he um, referred to these girls, high school girls, as N-words. But you got to hear, you got to hear his excuse. I'm just, I'm going to, this is fair use, okay? Um, I don't know why... I, you know, every, all the all the podcasters that that kind of read stuff, I've been noticing they've been citing kind of the fair use um, um, uh, policy. So fair use. I'm just going to read a little bit about it, and then I'm going to rant because that's what I do. Um, this is from Matt Rowan. During the Norman High School girls basketball game against Mid- Midwest City, I made inappropriate and racist comments, believing that the microphone was off. However, let me state immediately that is no excuse for such comments should never have been uttered. I am a family man. I am married. I have two children and at one time was a youth pastor. I continue to be a member of a Baptist church. Oh, oh, well, that, well, you're not a member. You're a member of the Baptist church. Oh, I know you couldn't possibly be racist. I have not only embarrassed and disappointed myself, I have embarrassed and disappointed my family and my friends. I will state, and here, here's the excuse. <laughs> I will state that I suffer type 1 diabetes. And during the game, my sugar was spiking. While not excusing my remarks, it is not unusual when my sugar spikes that I become disoriented and often say things that are not appropriate. 
my gosh. I do not believe that I would have made such horrible statements absent my sugar spiking. Wow. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, I, you know, I often say that, uh, that I do believe that, that, that racism is a disease. Uh, but man, I had no idea that the comorbidity for racism was diabetes type one diabetes, by the way, I, for any of you who are type one or type two diabetes, uh, I'm sorry that you have type one, type two diabetes. You are not your condition. My apologies for that. Um, does racism come? Is racism a side effect of that? Are we going to, are we going to start seeing on insulin commercials, um, with all the other things that it fights that it also, also reduces, um, racist rants. Is that going to be part of, uh, you know, I, I've been talking a lot about Merck, uh, maybe since Merck, you know, wasn't able to deliver, you know, their own, um, uh, COVID vaccine, maybe they can find the cure for diabetes and racism at the same time. Um, this is the most, and here's the thing. He continued to call the game. He called the entire game after this happened and only apologized because someone heard him say it. Um, look, folks, what I guess the point is that there's no, I mean, but if, I mean, we excuse racism all the time. Um, and, and, I, and it's not just white people, okay? Um, Off-color jokes uh, about any race, ethnicity. Um, can we just also talk about, briefly, um, attacks against um, Asian Pacific Islander, of Asian Pacific Islander descent? Look, man, um, it is it is disheartening it's troubling it's maddening and we really do need to be here for each other so on that note let's just let's just keep being good to ourselves and good to each other huh and let's think about the ways in which we i don't know exercise our our privilege and how we use our words in our and our actions to I don't know man to, to make it better let's just do that hey I am so grateful for you thank you for spending time with me today uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with a little something something um, because you know we started with Wilford Brimley and so why not go out with the great Wilford Brimley uh, but I will catch you on the flip side of the next episode of the uninvited peace good morning I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Actually, about diabetes, diabetes. and how it's affected me in my life. Uh, I'll start when I was first diagnosed. Diabetes, diabetes. I was scared to death. I was experiencing symptoms that were strange and unfamiliar to me. Uh, for instance, I had an unquenchable thirst. My tongue felt like a horseshoe rasp. Uh, 
I was losing my vision. I was losing my energy. I was getting up every 15 or 20 minutes all through the night. All through the night. All through the night. So I wasn't getting any rest. And as a result of all these things, I lost all my energy. Uh, I'm surrounded by people who love me, and I was, uh, I was scared. Man doesn't like to admit he was scared, but I truly was. I wasn't afraid to die. I knew that was coming to all of us. But what I was afraid of was diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. And I would encourage all of you. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. And I would encourage all of you that I might have to live a long time feeling like I felt. Uh. And I really wasn't interested in that. So finally, at the urging of my family, the ones who love me the most, I went to see a doctor. And he explained things to me in a language that I understood. And I think the most important thing he said to me was, Wilford, you loosen up diabetes. If you want to get better, the more attention you pay to these things and the more diligent you are, you'll get better, the better you'll feel. And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly the way it's been. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. And I would encourage all of you. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. Loosen up. All of you. Now, I'm not perfect, and I've slipped up. There's a line in a song, but I want to tell you. Through the years, the closer I've paid attention to the instructions of my doctor, when I don't eat apple pie, and I don't eat ice cream, and I eat the foods that I'm supposed to eat, and I do my exercises, and I take my medicine, and I do the procedures that I was instructed to do, I do feel better. Diabetes is not the worst thing in the world. People do learn to live with it. In closing, I would like to say to you, Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. I would encourage all of you. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. I've eaten ice cream and apple pie. Diabetes. I would encourage all of you. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. I've done things I shouldn't do. Diabetes. Do the best you can with what you got. Diabetes. I would encourage all of you. Diabetes. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Diabetes. Thanks for your time. Have a good day.